That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Hey listeners, we're so excited to chat with Siobhan today about her performance in the video game The Quarry. But we do talk about a few spoilery things, so if you haven't played yet and you don't want to know anything, check the show notes for the spoiler timestamps. Otherwise, enjoy the conversation. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Siobhan Williams. She's an actress and singer who's been in shows like Deadly Class and Unreal. Her latest role is of Laura Kearney in the fantastic new horror video game, The Quarry, the latest game by Supermassive Games, the makers of Until Dawn. Hello. Hello. Hey. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. I'm really excited to chat with you about everything today. But uh, before we do, uh, can you take us back kind of to the beginning? Have you? When did you get introduced to horror? So I think I was kind of unintentionally introduced to horror, like probably so many kids are. The movie that I brought today was probably my first introduction mm. to being horrified at a movie. But that movie wasn't necessarily the genre of horror. So I'll say that my first actual horror movie that I ever saw as a kid um, was The Sixth Sense. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. Not really sure what my parents were thinking with that <laughs> one. <laughs> oh, so you watched it with the family. It wasn't like an accidental watch. It was like everyone sat down to watch it together. I think it was one of those instances where I was in bed and I couldn't sleep. Mm. And this was like you know, my parents' whole experience of parenting because I just had sleep issues my whole life. So as I normally did, you know, I went to bed, my parents were watching a movie and I got up and um, went to where my parents were watching TV and was like, can I hang out with you? And they were probably like, no, this isn't a children's movie. And I was like, but I'll be fine. (laughs) I'm great. Famous last words. Yeah. (laughs) 
literally not remembering all of like the family movies that I'd been traumatized by already. Um, but I'm pretty sure they're like, okay, fine. You can sit and watch this movie. Um, and then I remember within a couple of minutes, it was that scene where Haley Joel Osment goes into the kitchen and it's, he thinks it's his mom mm, um, and mm-hmm. she's turned away and it's like, mom. And then she eventually turns back. And I remember being like, Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I like, then couldn't go to bed because I couldn't be alone. Right. <laughs> so I probably just stayed and watched the rest of the movie because I was like, I need to figure out why this is okay and see the happy <laughs> ending. Um, <laughs> Do you remember how old you you, you might have been when that happened? I think I think I was seven or eight. Oh gosh, that movie is that movie is terrifying. It really actually is. It is, and like I know maybe it's more of a thriller than a horror, but it's still horrifying oh there's absolute moments of abject horror in that movie for sure yeah i want to rewatch it actually because i remember bits and pieces from it still (laughs) from all the way back then and um i do remember thinking oh wow what a twist yeah (laughs) we're staying up for it's a great twist yeah and it holds up i we watched it recently so I think it still holds up. So totally, yeah. I know. I can't believe that was like twenty three years ago now. Girl, I know. What what is time? What is time anymore? <sighs> anyway, but so Siobhan, are you still are you a horror person? Or are you not really a horror fan? Do you still watch like films in the genre at all? I do occasionally, but I have to say they have to be like specifically not slasher. They can't okay. really be gory, and they can't have anything that will graphically stay in my mind forever because I can't unsee things once I see them and then they just get oh. like brain stained in mm. my memory. So I have to like be a little bit delicate with myself, but I love like a good thriller or um, a horror that's not, you know, super graphic. So like more of the psychological type? Yeah. I love that. What are some that, that you really like? That do you do you know any off the top of your head? Yeah, yeah. Um, I really liked Shutter Island when it came out. I remember okay. seeing that in theaters, and that was like Ooh, a little while yeah. back. Um, and I know that there's a lot of people who didn't like that movie, but I thought it was really great. Um, and Secret Window was cool too. Oh, Secret Window is good. Good Stephen yeah. King short story adaptation. Honestly, I forgot about that movie until like a month ago. Like, I right? forgot that movie happened. And I was like, wait, that wasn't terrible. Yeah. Just like one of those thrillers from that era that I'm like, oh, wait, that was actually not a bad time. And it's creepy. For sure. Big time. It was cool to see Johnny Depp in a role like that. And uh, I really actually liked Bird Box a lot. Like, I do kind of like that subgenre of horror that I like to call stress porn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> fucking stressed out the whole time which is literally what bird box was right um <laughs> so i do like those kinds of movies too which i mean okay. a lot of horror films fall into that category yeah so do, do you like the because i mean you just talked about bird box and being stressed out do you like the feeling of being scared i do when i'm in the mood for it for okay. sure like there's definitely nights where i'm like okay i want to watch a good horror movie tonight like i feel strong mm-hmm. i feel ready to like mess with my system a little bit <laughs> But I will say that I'm someone who has a hard time sleeping as is. So I think that's where a lot of my like abstaining from uh, horror as much as like some other genres has come from. Like I remember even as a kid, like watching like Hocus Pocus and being terrified. And was it Little Monsters? 
that was what it was called right yeah uh yes uh is that the but one it, with uh what's his name gosh white um, white yeah it's where the monster there's like a whole Fred monster savage under his bed right yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. fred savage that that movie from like the late 80s and is yes. it howie mandel is the yeah howie howie mandel is in fact Maureen. he is oh my god the monster under the bed yeah i remember seeing that one as a kid yeah it was like it was really scary i remember thinking i couldn't touch the carpet under my bed ever <laughs> after that because and then i think those feelings are stuck with me i was just like i'm one of those people that can just be ruined by a movie <laughs> gotta be careful like what, what i allow myself to watch so i think that's why the psychological stuff i i could um deal with more because it just didn't feel like such a visual that would stick with me or mm. like a theme yeah for sure I think I think that's kind of what's shaped my experience of horror a little bit that makes sense yeah. so also because we're going to talk about this video game are you are you a gamer at all mm-hmm. I love games yeah okay I'm not great at them oh me neither but they're fun. It's fun to not be great at games, you know? Yeah. Who cares? That's why I like games where it's just you. Because I don't like playing online with people. Because then it's like very obvious how bad I am. And then I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I want to go at my own pace and figure things out on my own. And just like do my own thing. Totally. I like games. <laughs> I know. I really like to take my time and really explore and see everything and not rush through it. I'm like, I'm only going to be in this world for so long. So I want to like see every detail that's there. And it's so funny. Me and my boyfriend always joke because we were playing super mario for a long time and i was just like well you just wait for me he's like but I'm to go. i was like no you have to wait like i it's not fun for me if i'm just racing to keep up with you it's not my fault you're better than me <laughs> i'm trying my best I know. and it's literally mario um but uh i do love games <laughs> do you like horror games like have you played Until Dawn and games like that before? Yes, I actually love horror games. For some reason, I seem to be able to Ooh. handle them better than horror movies, which is kind of weird. That is weird because really? like, I hear a lot of people that um, are big horror fans have a hard time playing video games because they're like right in the thick of things and controlling it. And so it gives kind of it gets rid of that like layer of of. Uh, what am I thinking detachment from what's happening yes. so that's it's interesting that that's the opposite for you it is weird maybe it's like this false sense of control that if I play <laughs> good enough I'll be able to fix whatever terrible and <laughs> it's gonna befall me which is obviously not correct <laughs> but um no I loved like Resident Evil and mm. um and Until Dawn yeah it was huge for me there's a couple that I still have to play like I have to play Dead by Daylight and there's lots out there that I have yet to touch on but no I really love horror games that's so cool because we're talking about horror um I want to hear about uh, can you tell us just a little bit about the quarry and what it's about mm. yeah so the quarry takes place on the last day of camp after all of the kids who are attending summer camp go home and the camp counselors accidentally get stranded at the site for an additional night, um, which nobody anticipated. And for whatever reason, the guy who runs the camp is freaking out and is like, okay, well, everybody just make sure you stay inside. I can't be here. I have to leave, but just stay inside all night. Don't do anything and don't do anything stupid. And I'll be back first thing in the morning to get you. And they're all like, well, we're a bunch of like 22 year olds. There's no adults and no kids around. That's obviously not what we're going to do. So they, you know, start to party a little bit and whatnot and then 
shit just really hits the fan. And um, my role is that of one of the counselors who's on her way to camp, actually before the video game even starts in the prologue, uh, her and her boyfriend are heading to camp to start as counselors at the beginning of the summer. And they kind of run into some crazy stuff and get accosted by this weird cop that they can't tell if he's crooked or not. And end up basically at the end of the prologue, you don't even know if they're going to make it or not. Um, and so then the game continues on and eventually my character shows up and she's been through a lot. She's been through the fucking ringer. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she comes in and tries to help all the counselors with their little predicament that they're in. And um, yeah, there's some supernatural stuff and lots of action and uh, some pretty brainstainingly graphic deaths. <laughs> there really are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> have you? Um, I, I, yeah, but have you? Did you have you played the game yourself? I have. I played it three times now. Ha- have you? Have you managed to save all of the counselors and everything? No. <laughs> Me neither. No, you haven't? No, okay. I love this game so much, but I have to say that the arbitrary decision of leaving, spoiler alert, everyone, I'm going to spoil a moment in here, but it it bothered me. The fact that like Max can just die by leaving the island at like towards the end. I was like, yeah, are you kidding me? (laughs) I know when I played it with my partner, he chose that. And as he was doing it, I was like, oh, no. He's gonna be so mad and sure enough he's just like what what i was yeah. i was like are you kidding me that was that was, there was like i three characters i ended up losing three of the counselors the the first time i played it and he unfortunately was one of them and i was so upset i was like no yeah that's not too bad three is pretty good that's, that's i killed all the 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 uh the family the werewolf or spoilers again the werewolf family they all died but they deserve to die they did i agree yeah everyone who's like oh well i kept constance and jet alive like why why (laughs) why would you do that (laughs) yeah my first playthrough i think i killed everybody except abby and jacob killed laura abby is is the first person i accidentally killed because i i didn't shoot when i should have right it's an easy one to do for sure it can be confusing sometimes too because well you just have no idea what's gonna happen you don't and that's what i love about these games and uh i mean because i i loved until dawn i thought is was just such a great story um but what i love about the quarry so much is that i felt like there was more um permutations that could happen and more um more choice built into it that really made my my playthrough feel like unique in a way i love that i love that you say that it's cool too because i really didn't like Abby very much my first two playthroughs um she was probably one of my least favorite characters and then my third playthrough when I was watching my partner play it because of his choices he got so many different scenes with Abby and Nick and so much different conversation and I was just like oh she's super cute and lovely um so it's so funny yeah it's it's neat that it's a game that you buy once but so many people play so many times because you get a different game each time really yeah so i from what i understand uh did you did you do motion capture for it too yeah we did um motion capture which is all the body movement and then performance capture which is all the facial recording as well we did it all a digital domain in um in la and we did it uh they're the ones who are behind like thanos and so much of the mm-hmm. avengers stuff and um they were actually behind the 
Tupac call Tupac hologram as well. Oh um, really? Oh really? Back, back in the day, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, they have some really cool stuff and like the Time Magazine reconstruction of um, who was it? I can't remember who it was. Damn! But they had a really sweet. Um, they just their software is amazing. Like these guys are geniuses. So it was really cool to be there. And um, yeah, we shot it over about two and a half years. Two and a half oh. years. Yeah. Um, but it was funny because we'd go in and we'd do, you know, a week or two at a time and then they'd go back and they'd render everything and build it. Oh, wow. Okay. And then, um, we'd come back again six months later and do it again with new pieces. And, um, of course, COVID affected things a little bit. (laughs) I'm, I'm always curious about motion capture because we, we talked with uh, Maggie Robertson who played Lady Demetresque in the latest Resident Evil game. And it's always, I, I love hearing the stories about, uh, what it was like for filming that, particularly as an actress, you know, that's, that's worked in, in um, more, you know, filmic means. What was, was it, was it hard adjusting to motion capture? It's really cool. I'd say it's one of those things that's really hard to adjust to for the first, um, you know, hour or day. Um, there's some weird technical things that you have to do that you never have to think about in film. Like, you know, before you do any scene and at the end of every scene you have to do a t-pose which basically just calibrates all of your sensors on your body to the cameras okay because if you're standing a certain way like your arm might be blocking a sensor and then that information Mm. isn't going to the camera um so it's just to kind of sort all your positioning out before and after a scene and it's so funny how how long it takes people to get that you know in their head and then it's weird because like after I was doing this then I'd go to a film set and they'd say rolling and I'd be like okay two <laughs> people would be like what are you doing <laughs> um, so there's little technical things like that and then of course like you don't have a costume and there's no set and there's just so much more imagination that's used when you're um, doing it. So I think just relying on the other people that you're working with, um, the other actors in the scene is so helpful because if you're just really connected, then, you know, none of the rest of that matters and you're not trying to focus on what space you're in and what the circumstances are. Um, you can just kind of exist in it uh, without being too conscious of it. But um, it's really cool, too, because they had so many environments that they could show us on the day. And they had like, you know, we we could look at ourselves in that environment and be like, oh, if I turn this way, I'm looking at a desk with a bunch of papers on it. Or like, here's a weird poster on the wall. So that was really neat. I love the challenge. It's definitely a challenge, but um, I I really like it once you're kind of settled into it. It's fun exercise. That's so cool. Just think about motion capture. Just think about motion capture. Like, it blows my mind that you can just do that me too it's so beyond me how that technology like I have a very very limited understanding of how you know it uses triangulation and there's cameras every two meters in the space like in three dimensions and whatnot but beyond that I'm just like it's like magic it is it's like witchcraft or magic <laughs> I like witchcraft yeah <laughs> it works for sure it's really cool and it's so neat seeing them um because there's always a bank of, you know, computers next to the volume and everyone's doing their respective job, whether it's like the face or the skeleton of the body or the sound. And there's just so much crazy 2100, like year 2100, it feels like stuff happening. You're just like, oh my God, wow. it's just worlds colliding. You know, it's like, it's like arts and technology and it's really cool. That's so cool. That's really cool. 
Okay, so Jean, we've talked to you about your core history and your work with the quarry, but what movie are we talking about today? So I am bringing with me the legendary film Matilda. Matilda! Okay. By Roald Dahl. Yeah. For those of you unfamiliar, Matilda and Matilda, a girl named Matilda, is gifted with a keen intellect and psychic powers, uses both to deal with her crude family and free her teacher from their sadistic headmistress. So, okay, Siobhan, tell us why this is your Scarred for Life story. Tell us everything. How old were you when you saw it? What scared you the most? Paint us your horror picture. (laughs) Um, Okay, so at the time, this movie came out in 96, I believe. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. when it came out, I was living in Newfoundland on the East Coast with my family. And I was just about to start, not preschool, but... Uh, kindergarten actually because I started it a year early because uh, I'm a January birthday. And... Me too. Oh, nice! So you know how it feels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was about to sc- start school the, the the coming fall, and uh, I don't know. My parents thought it would be sweet to take me to see a movie inspired by Roald Dahl. I don't know if either of them had actually read the book yet. And I did grow to love Roald Dahl books. Like I read all of them for sure when I was a few years older. But um, it was actually the first movie that I ever saw in theaters. Oh, wow. So that was an experience in and of itself because it's, you know, very stimulating for Mm -hmm. a four-year-old. So we went in and it was like, oh, it's all about a girl with superpowers. And how exciting is that for any four-year-old, right? Uh Like we're so so limited in our... um, in our power when we're young and like it's so vindicating for kids to be able to feel like they can have that unlimited freedom to do what they want or mm-hmm. be their own person and make their own decisions. um so yeah I went in and I just remember um thinking the movie was all great you know thinking that her parents were horrible people but then we got to the school stuff and I just remember them showing the chokey and I was like this is what's fucking happening in September. (laughs) Oh no, that's right. My life is about to change so much. Everything has been so good up until now. Like (laughs) what? And the trunchbull, I was just, I I think like, I don't know if my parents, I don't know if I was crying or what, but I just remember being horrified. Like, I mean, just imagine like that's your only experience of what school is going to be like, you know, your only point of reference. And you're just like, I'm dead. Like, it's over. Yeah. I, I'm i going to have this. It's going to be yeah. terrible. I'm going to get thrown by my pigtails over a fucking fence. <laughs> I was just going to say, I probably literally had two braids in my hair because my mom loved to do that to me. And I was probably like looking at them like these are going to be handles for the evil principal that tossed me with. <laughs> So oh um, yeah, after the film, my parents had to sit me down and have a very serious conversation with me. And I probably didn't believe them that wasn't <laughs> what school was going to be like. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. So I have to I have to ask when you finally did go to school, were you like trepidatious? Uh, I definitely was. Yes. And luckily, I think it became evident pretty quickly that that wasn't going to happen. Okay, good. I'm glad you had a good first day of experience of class and not like have a teacher from hell or something. For sure. No, I was very wary. Um, But luckily, I, yeah, was never, never (laughs) had to be put through any of that kind of stuff. No chokies Um, in your future. (laughs) 
No, but I remember literally crying for weeks to my parents being like, they're going to put me into what's are you sure they don't have a choke in the school? Um, and yeah, I, I probably didn't believe it until I'd been there for like a month. And they were like, look, there's a chokey. Okay. But I also thought that like the chokey was a thing. Cause I was just like terrified. I, I was like internally terrified of it. Yeah. I was like, I have to be really good. Cause I'm going to go to the principal's office. And if they don't have a chokey, they're going to have something similar. And I don't want to find out. And just like my little kid brain thinking about having to stand in the chokey for so long, just brought panic into my little baby heart because just terrible and also so this is one of my favorite movies like growing up this was the movie I wanted to watch all the time I wanted to be Matilda I love to read like she was just like my idol as a kid like it was my favorite thing I, I so badly wanted to have like a Miss Honey situation like so much now that I'm older and gay I realize I also had a crush on Miss Honey so that's fun to realize <laughs> as you age of but, course who wouldn't exactly but it's just like this movie made was like so formative for me and I always was just like the biggest scary thing was assemblies and the chocolate cake like for that was the scene that really really fucked me up because there's so many like amazing scenes we can talk about at the beginning but there's a scene where when Matilda goes to school a, a what is his name the um, boy's name it's like it's like Augusta. Gus no that's is Gus that's it's Willy Wonka <laughs> Um, it's like, it's like, um, something Bog. Glute. Bruce Bogtrotter. Bruce Bogtrotter. That's yes. great. God, Bruce, Bruce great last names name. are so good. Like the names, Bruce Bogtrotter, oh, having yeah. to eat that whole fucking chocolate cake was just like, for some reason, the thought of being forced to eat in front of an assembly of people is like my worst nightmare because of this movie. And so whenever we had an assembly at school, <laughs> I was always like vaguely paranoid that they were going to roll out a cake. Like it never happened, obviously. <laughs> But like that fear was always in the back of my fucking head that something crazy was going to happen like that, like in elementary school. Yeah. So this movie, I just love this movie so much. Me too. And I'm so glad you wanted to talk about it because this movie, like I was never scared of it though, but I understand why. I really, the Chokey scared me, but I think I so badly loved Matilda and like who she was as a person. I was like, if Matilda can do the Chokey, I can do anything. Yeah, for sure. I remember it's funny because, so I have a sister who's 10 years younger than me and she was so obsessed with Matilda too. So it's funny that you say that because it was a movie she always wanted to watch. Like, I think we watched it at least once a week for years. And I didn't really think about it because I was pretty young at the time. I was probably like 13 or 14. So I wasn't thinking about, oh, what is it about this movie that she loves? I was just like, oh, she's a kid and likes what she likes. But um. I do remember as well after seeing the film trying so many times to move things with my eyes. Like I still do it sometimes. Uh, Yeah, no, me too. This movie made me convinced that I could be psychic. Like between (laughs) this and Harry Potter, I was fucked because all I wanted to do was be a magical person. Like I know. And like my family, like, dress me like like they this is very it's kind of like I don't want to think too deeply into it my, my family like always called me Matilda and I was like the implications really? of that are kind of fucked up if you think about like the family dynamics going on there but like I loved to read and like I would go to the library and come back with a lot of books and I loved wearing those cute little like flower dresses and shit and like would just sit in my room reading instead of like going outside and so like I was the little Matilda and I was like well if I'm like Matilda then I can move things with my brain And so like, I 
there's a scene at the beginning of Matilda where she makes all the things dance with her and it's that like iconic scene with the Cheerios the number of times mm-hmm. I tried to make my, my cereal pour into the bowl I still do it but like just formative memories and it's still disappointing when it doesn't work. For me, that would have been like uh, the force in Star Wars when I was a little kid. And I remember trying to like force push things and make things move. So I can relate oh. to that aspect of it because, uh, you know, who doesn't want to be able to control things with their mind, right? Like, for sure. It's a fun childhood thing. Totally. I, thing. Mean, I remember when um, the Harry Potter movies came out, I would dream that I got to go to Hogwarts all the time like I had so many dreams that that's where I went to school or I got the letter and I was going to go to school or I was friends with all of those kids like it's so funny what a common desire it is for kids to to wish that they had some sort of magical power and I guess when you're at that age you still believe that it's possible which is which is kind of a sad thing that we lose that Mm -hmm. eventually it's almost like you know, when you come of age and you kind of lose that spark in your eyes, it's almost like the realization that none of that stuff is real. Yeah. That you never really want to lose hope a little bit, even in your adult brain that maybe. I, I mean, like, I don't have kids, so I, I projected onto my cats. Like, my cat turned 11 and I was like, oh my gosh, you're going to get your letter to Hogwarts. Like, <laughs> it's so silly and but it's like I understand now why my parents loved being like Santa and like why my stepdad loved Harry Potter with us and stuff like it makes a lot of sense now like older so then I'm like oh that is actually really cute and so I do it to my cats because I don't want kids but it's like that way to keep that little magical spark alive yeah I love it it's so true and especially for I mean Matilda's a pretty extreme example of a kid who's born into a family that she's completely oh. alienated from. Like, mm-hmm. how is she even related to these people at all? But for kids who are born into something that's even a milder version of that, it must have felt so nice to see that represented because I feel like it's not very often. It's true. Cause like I was a kid like that in my, my parents were divorced. So my dad's side of the family, I was very much like that. Like I was the little nerd who would like read and they loved to drink beer and watch football. And I was very much like, I liked to do theater and do art. I wasn't good at sports. So I was very much them. And I think I loved this movie so much because I felt like I could be, if I could be her and confident in myself, then like it would make things easier and it really was like this, you know, she was like the little voice in my head of like, cause she's so confident, like, despite the fact that her parents are absolute monsters, mm. she's such a confident girl, which is both sad. Cause you know, in these abuse situations, you're forced to grow up way faster than you should have to, but it just like that. I saw so much of myself in her, which is depressing. And I'm sorry, I'm getting very sad right now about this movie, but like, that's why I love it so much. For sure. I mean, that's a huge part of, I mean, I don't know if either of you read much of Roald Dahl's um, work when you were I've younger. Read, I've read some of a his stuff. Uh, like, uh, gosh, I'm drawing a blank as to what I would have read. Um, the BFG? The, yeah, the BFG, the witches. The witches. The I read the witches. Yeah. Yeah. James and the Giant Peach. And it's funny mm. because the adults in his novels were almost oh, always awful, terrible people, right? Um and I know that he had a really hard life. Like mm-hmm. I know that his dad and his sister died within weeks of each other when he was like really young. And then um, his mom, I guess they were Norwegian, but they lived in Wales because they wanted them to have a nice 
British education and, you know, speak English and I guess have more opportunities or whatnot. But then after his dad and sister died, his mom didn't want to return to Norway with him because she wanted to still give him those opportunities and whatnot. So they put him through, um, you know, public schools, which were supposed to be more, you know, refined and whatnot. But he was like beaten horrendously by by teachers and then by students because of the weird like prefect hierarchy at so many of those schools and it just sounds like he had a hell of a time and so I'm sure Mary Beth like that I mean that the like his books are depressing they're really depressing yeah. they're really sad and messed up like they might you know we might have been able to turn it into like kind of a jest making light of the situation with comedy or like extreme caricatures of people but it is very dark like yeah it's incredibly dark and so this was my very first time watching this movie Matilda would have come out in well 96 I would have been 15 when it came out and so mm-hmm. I, I was a little too old for it uh for being a, a teen boy at that time I remember seeing the commercials for it but I'll be perfectly honest and this is a mom- moment that I've told Mary Beth and she's already gearing up for it I get this movie and I don't know why. I don't know why, but I get this movie confused with Stuart Little. <laughs> That's funny. It's probably like the same, probably within the same couple of years. Stuart Little came out, I think, late later 90s, maybe 98, 99. I think it was I think. 99. But I get this one, this one and Mouse Hunt and Matilda all confused as like one movie. And I, I mean, I honestly, Hunt and Stuart Little makes sense. They're both about it, it does, yes, but not <laughs> not Matilda. And I I agree. Like, <laughs> listeners, Mary Beth is just like holding her face. I I don't know why. I kind of thought maybe that like as I was looking at the poster for Matilda, I was thinking, oh, I think that that Mara Wilson. I thought she was in Stuart Little for some reason. I I don't know. Didn't you I think she was the fucking mouse? That was what you oh, fucking told me. Yeah. Was I, 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 are you serious? Someone was a mouse no. that wasn't a mouse. I I thought I I just thought that they were all in like one combined movie or something. I don't know what was going on with my brain. Oh it's my just God. Meanwhile, things. me who like grew up watching it was just like, how fucking dare you disgrace Matilda's name like this? Yeah, she dragged me <laughs> on Twitter when I mentioned this. To I her. did, in fact. I did, oh in fact, God. drag him on Twitter. It was very funny. <laughs> but, so th- watching this uh, last night for, for the, the for the podcast, this was the very first time I had, I had sat down to see not Stuart Little, but actually Matilda. And I was I was well at the beginning. I was like, I don't. I'm curious when this is going to take a turn because the opening scene. Yeah, the parents are absolutely horrible, and it is you know it's a lot of abuse going on. the 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 opening scene of of her being a little baby and they're just sort of dragging her out of there and saying, what are they going to do? Repossess her. And then ignoring her as she's like, you know, making her own, her own breakfast and taking care of herself. I was like, okay, this is kind of, this is kind of horrifying, but I was like, where is this going to take a turn? And then we get to the school with, with Trunchbull and the Chokey, which listeners we've talked about the Chokey, but I just want to say it is described as a tall, narrow hole in a wall behind a door where you have to stand in a drippy pipe with jagged edges and the walls have broken glass and nails sticking out. What a horrific image that that kind of conjures for anyone. Even as an adult, I was like, Jesus, that's really, that's fucked up. It's a saw trap for children. It is. It's It's not even for children. It's a saw trap in general. For anyone. For any adult, like stand in here for, is it like hours? Like the kids have to get put 
the trophy for hours. Like no adult would pass that. (laughs) They would be impaled immediately. (laughs) And there's like a, you know, a foot of space between the ends of each nail and the starts of the ends of the other nails. So like, if you move at all, you're just going to get impaled. Like it's really messed like an up. iron maiden but like on crack like it is it's, <laughs> it's when when trunchbull like pushes matilda in there and closes the door and there's the there's a camera angle of like the nails on the door coming into the camera it's like oh how how is this legal <laughs> that's literally what i remember when i remember that first viewing of that movie is that exact shot totally and there's like the smoke and yeah it. yeah it's horrifying it is but what kind of pulled me into the story was uh as as a as a queer person I was like ooh, this is actually a lot of like dealing with with stuff that a lot of queer kids had to deal with like it feels like an LGBTQ story in a way because they have like a daughter the parents are are very um nuclear family and heteronormative like with their their roles the father it's almost like a 50s kind of movie where the father goes out Mm -hmm. and work the mom stays home the the brother is you know just sort of like a belching bully who like throws carrots at his sister like these are all like stereotypical roles and then you have Matilda who's like doesn't have anything to fit in with her family and I thought back to me being a kid and and Mary Beth you mentioned that you're you know you were interested in theater and stuff and artsy stuff and that's me too I I didn't fit into any of these molds that my parents wanted me to fit into you know it wasn't like sit there and watch television but I remember my dad trying to get me to play football and I'm like I have no no interest in this like there's all this kind of stuff where they're trying to like force this sort of heteronormative family unit together and me like being I don't want any of this and not feeling like I had anything in common with a lot of people and so watching it even as an adult I was like "Ooh, this would have been like this probably would have been my favorite movie as a kid if I saw it at that at that same ripe age oh no it was just you were just a few years too well it was late (laughs) yeah luckily Mary Beth I guess had it at that critical time but yeah I can imagine for sure they were just trying to imbue all their completely wrong beliefs for for what they were on to her and yeah, yeah that's yeah I loved Rhea Rhea Perlman as Mrs. Wormwood the mother oh. because like first of all she, she her accent is channeling uh oh gosh uh god the plant horror movie why can't I just little shop of horrors, oh, little shop of horrors. that kind of like uh, Jersey accent like just sort of like high pitch like she is channeling that Hi. character yeah yeah <laughs> And I, I loved her character so much, even though she was horrible. But there's there's that moment when when Miss Honey um, comes to the family and the mom is like saying a girl does not get anywhere by looking intelligent. And then she's kind of insulting her for slaving away, teaching kids their ABCs and Miss Honey's response of like, don't sneer at educated people. And I was just like, this is such an interesting dynamic between like, you know, Matilda needs to be a girl in their eyes and needs to not worry about getting an education her dad wants her to stay home and sign for packages while everyone else is either at school or at work and I'm just sitting here where are we what kind of world are we in where the girl's not going to school but the boy is but I love that that interchange there because it's I I think it kind of strikes to the heart of what this movie is getting at totally I love that um I think I also just got my Halloween costume I think I want to be Mrs. Wormwood yes (laughs) hell yeah um but yeah, I know they're so extreme and um, there's so many different levels of that that exists in the world in parenting and like 
I know I've seen it firsthand with like families that are really promoting like toxic masculinity and there's mm-hmm. no room to be like scared or um have feelings or be vulnerable in any way and it, I just like it breaks my heart every time I see that kind of stuff because you're just gonna mess your kid up so much yeah and it doesn't have to be like oh, I'm adult you know it doesn't have to be as no. obvious as it was in that film like it can be so damaging um and it is so damaging and uh it's crazy that she goes from this abusive household to like somehow an even more extreme <laughs> level of abusive adult like seriously trenchbull is quite the villainous i i was impressed at how evil she is i guess for this kid i mean because i i we've we've covered a couple um roll doll shows on movies mm-hmm. on this podcast we talked about james and the giant peach we've talked about witches charlotte chocolate factory was one too right wasn't that written by him or am yeah, i mistaken yeah, yeah so we've, yeah, we've covered a- but like her as a villain I think Trump's all the other villains that I've seen of his of his work. She's um she's nasty. Yeah, she's horrible. And the most messed up part is like she's meant to work with children, you know, and be a headmistress. She's put herself in that situation. It's like, uh, well, this is dark, but it's like pedophiles who like put themselves in positions where they're working with kids. You know, she like yeah. gets off on hurting kids. Well, and I I was so there was a moment in here. Speaking of which, that like made me kind of sit back and it's um so we get the story of miss honey right where she's telling the story to to um matilda about this this girl that she knows and i first of all i love the story because you know she basically she goes and i actually wrote this line down she says you were born into a family that doesn't always appreciate you but one day things are going to be very different and that is the moment where i was like oh my gosh this is talking to all the queer kids out there that are you know don't fit in with their family and we get like flashbacks to uh, Trunchbull kind of putting her hand on on the young kid's shoulder. And it it gave me such a stranger danger vibe. And I was like, what yeah. is going on in this moment? I, but I, I don't know if that was like me reading too much into it, but she does it a couple of times in those flashbacks. And it's it's it, it creepy. Yeah, it is really creepy. I remember the exact moment you're talking about. Yeah. And I didn't really think about it until I was older either. Yeah. You know, I thought she was just like an asshole. I like hadn't thought about like her being predatory. And I think it's such an interesting look at the contrast and different kinds of abuse too, because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you have Matilda's parents who are incredibly abusive and neglectful, but then you have, and then you, and then you have on the other hand, this Trunchable who looks like she was physically harming yeah. a child and you're seeing this like abuses in so many different forms and not one is not like prioritized over the other but it's showing how like this these effects what the effects look like no matter what and I think Miss Honey also gave me a lot of hope when I was younger like you know my I had like, weird parent stuff and so like I could grow up to be Miss Honey and I loved her and so Ew, this is like really personal. I'm so sorry, guys. I did not mean to get like so dark with talking about Matilda, but like, don't be. It's just such an important movie to me about breaking cycles of trauma mm. in a time where that wasn't usually like discussed. And also, like, because again, like Miss Honey and Matilda are parallel. So Miss Honey, we haven't really explained who Miss Honey is, have we? Miss Honey is Matilda's teacher, and she is like the most beautiful woman and yes mm. I do have a crush on her but she like looks like your most beautiful 90s like art teacher and she's so kind and has like cute glasses and wears a nice denim like the cute denim dresses and floral dresses and it's just like very sweet and kind 
and she's played by M. Beth Davids, who was also in 13 Ghosts, which is absolutely hysterical to me. An Army of Darkness. <laughs> An Army of Darkness. I know. It's incredible. But M. Beth Davids is incredible as Miss Honey, who is like the most beautiful, empathetic person. It's like the mm-hmm. first empathetic person Matilda has ever met in her life. Mm-hmm. Her classroom is like the most, that's what I wanted all of my classrooms to look like when I was going into school, like covered in like beautiful artwork and these d- beautiful wooden desks that you could put things in. And flowers. And flowers and it's just beautiful but then when trenchable comes everything has to go back and it's i like, love that, that moment was, yes all the kids knew exactly what to do but just seeing this adult almost on a childlike level because she is more aligned with the kids than the mm-hmm. adults in this movie i think and it's really interesting to see an adult in that position in a movie like this i feel like it's usually kids against adults and matilda having this ally in miss honey was a really was something I don't think we see a lot of or had seen a lot of at that point either. Like it's not just adults are all terrible or like represent one thing. Like they can also be incredibly supportive resources. And it also showed, I think for a kid's movie, it showed an adult being scared of another adult. Yeah. Yes. Um, And you know, that adults can be victims of abuse too, because Ms. Honey is still paralyzed from the abuse that she suffered from because Trunchbull was her aunt. So Mm -hmm. Miss Honey's parents both died. So she lived with Trunchbull from a young age. Um, And uh, yeah, she's just been traumatized her whole life and still is and has never been able to get past this. And so that's how her and Matilda are able to help each other. It's like you said, break those cycles of trauma. But um, yeah, I remember being really affected by by seeing the fear in Miss Honey. Every time Trunchbull was around, I was like, oh, wow. I thought all adults weren't scared of anything. Yeah. Um, speaking Oops. of of Miss Honey, uh, so I, I mean Mary Beth, you kind of said it. She's kind of a lesbian icon or a queer icon in a way. And I remember seeing this this tweet by Mara Wilson, who played Matilda. "Quote: It was one of the f- the few children's films to show a strong, resilient female character overcome adversity and a family that did not understand her to create her own family and her own happiness through hard work and friendship." Also, they all have crushes on Miss Honey, which she was talking about, about like the queer aspect of 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 this this movie. And I was thinking back to like the there's like a, a thing called a cottage core um, aesthetic, which is like idealizations of countryside living, gardening, retro dresses, wild nature. And it's incredibly popular among the LGBTQ community, particularly queer women. And there's like some kind of sapphic allure of Miss Honey, where this uh, comedy writer said the she's sapphic allure of Miss Honey. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a new book. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm gonna write it, this book now. This yes, you are. please do. Okay, but comedy writer Beck Shaw uh, has quoted talking about this movie. She said that she's also basically an early prototype of the cottagecore lesbian, and most importantly, she's unmarried. She's staunchly a miss. She lives by herself. She doesn't express a desire to be married. And she says, when you're desperately trying to find queerness and queer representation, you often are relying on the absence of heterosexuality rather than explicit presence of queerness in literature. And so I think that's why a lot of queer people probably relate to this movie in so many different ways. And I I find that I find that so cool. When she fucking puts the glasses down on her nose and up. Okay, gif. (gasps) I didn't know that gif was from this movie. I have used that gif. And it kind of like maybe, yes, I've used that gif not because like, you know, she kind of turns her glasses down. I've used it as like a, oh, hello. Like, you know, but but now watching (laughs) this movie and going, oh, that's actually kind of inappropriate for what she's actually doing. But like, (laughs) I- Now that you know how broken she is. Yeah. (laughs) I, 
I had no idea. I had no idea that that was from this movie until that moment. It's like, oh, it's the gif. It's the gif. Totally. Yeah, there was something that was so, it was funny because she was so like, as we talked about, like she was so broken by the by the trauma of her childhood, but there was something that was so strong and steadfast about her too. And she, mm-hmm. she just like existed outside the realm of definition, which was really, really cool. Yeah. And I think everyone picked up on that. No, no, it's okay. Yeah, go ahead. She's like, it's just a shining example that no matter what, like, even if you are still struggling with trauma, you can still break out of it and be a good person and be, have a good heart and be loving and full of love, which Matilda had never really had. And so it's like, she is this beacon, even again, for queer people, like you will have a really hard time, but you will be a good person. You will still find love. Like, it's just, it is, she really is such a queer icon. What the fuck? (laughs) honey yeah I love that I've literally never thought about that probably because I haven't watched the movie since I was so young and I was so in the dark at the time but that's amazing it's so accurate now the other thing that I, I realized watching this again for the first time was that there's a lot of horror movie uh emphasis in this movie first of all it's basically a, a carry for kids like it has a happier ending than Carrie, but it's basically like you have a little girl who has an oppressive family unit. You know, she's having a rough time at school. Um, in fact, Miss Tr- Mitch Trunch- Trunchbull even says that, you know, I am God in this school. Like there's that kind of religious aspect of it that she sees herself as playing with, with, um, you know, the, the kids is, is like her almost like playthings and her creations. And then you have her like, finding out her powers and it's tied to like her at least at least initially tied to her anger and her you know raw emotions just like it was with Carrie I'm like this is Carrie for kids and I'm loving it nice a little less blood yeah a little, a little less, less blood, blood. <laughs> and they did PG basically it's a PG Carrie and a happy and a happy ending which thank, yes. thank goodness I could not I would not be able to handle this movie if this movie ended the way Carrie did no then it would be like just such a tragedy mm-hmm. I know I remember being so happy when when Miss Honey goes to adopt her and the parents are just because they just don't care <laughs> just like, like, ah, yeah. that, we're going to Guam <laughs> yeah that fucked me up so badly the idea mm-hmm. that the parents be like oh yeah cool you can just have her I was like what like you could do that you could do that but then there was like that weird moment with the mom mm-hmm. where she like tried like she, what I forgot the line when she like says something like I tried or something like something weird like trying to like make up for it I feel like right am I am I yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right because she fights for a second yeah yeah she does and then she's like oh well you'll be happier but Terry, you were talking about the horror aspects and we need to talk about when they are creeping through Miss Trunchbull's house because that is a fucking like home invasion, don't breathe, stressful scenario. And maybe this is why I love horror movies. Like Matilda really like is like stress porn. If you talk about stress porn, like that segment is stress porn. Yes. Oh my God. And it's a long scene. I mean, it's so long. I don't remember how many minutes it is, but oh my God, when she comes and the, the chocolate's been moved and the the jar is askew and she just like smells it. Oh. You're like, oh no. She's all hit oh, like an animal fuck. with the scent caught in her nose and she just starts trudging through the house, like desperation oh. to like find them. And I'm like, oh, this is this is horror. This is actually horror. Well, yeah. they shoot her to look so much bigger and like she's trudging and like things are shaking when she vaults over um, jumps over the, the railing. banister 
jumps <laughs> over the banister and lands and the dust comes out of like that is such like ingrained in my brain of her vaulting over like she just feels so big mm-hmm. like yeah. the scale of Miss Trunchable feels on inhuman is how I felt a lot as a kid because the way they she's obviously like a bigger woman mm-hmm. and which is interesting in and of itself and how like she's portrayed as kind of like a very like masculine lesbian yeah. type mm-hmm. character interesting totally. weird like contrasting kinds of le- like yes. queer femininity in this movie um but they have her as this like monstrously feminine character which I know Terry you noted that Roldal does quite a bit Mm-hmm. in his stuff like with the witches yeah james the giant peach yep those were the two off the top of my head and how they have these like big scary women who are like caricatures of people i mean trunchbull's a caricature of a person yeah oh yeah big time. she's how i know what shot put is in the olympics i will say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and totally me too i know i just remember hating her i just remember hating her face and like her big huge heavy boots that like sounded like they were made out of lead mm-hmm. anytime yes. she walked anywhere and it's funny because i remember like i don't really read the news because it's super depressing but um on twitter you know how stuff comes up in the side column um i just remember people there was something about them making matilda which i will never watch uh i'm sure they'll do a great job but i will never watch it um and then i just remember people being really up in arms about emma thompson like wearing a a fat suit and whatnot and i was like i don't wait they're remaking matilda oh yeah and emma thompson is playing trunchbull what um oh yeah so like my issue with it is not so much the fat suit because trunchbull was supposed to be like a super butch athletic like olympic you know she's supposed to be mm-hmm. an olympic wasn't she an olympic competitor mm-hmm. in like um, yeah yeah like she's like kind of like she's not fat she's just no. like thick. she's just big she's just yeah. like a muscular woman big she's time. a bull like she she's a yes. bull and yeah. a, you know she's just this and that's what i love i, I love look I, I looked up the definition of trench which is a obsolete term but it used to be used what we would call a steak and so it's basically like oh. a very like steak and then a bowl, like, like, not like an eating steak, but like a, you know, yeah. vampire steak. And so the, the two words together just it summons such an image. And I, I, it's a perfect name for how, how her presence is on, on screen. Oh yeah. I mean, it's such a big part of her character. Like, you know, if she was a tiny little elderly lady, I, I doubt she would have had the same impact on the children. <laughs> yeah. Probably. So it'd be interesting to see how, I have no idea what vein. Maybe they're going in a totally different vein with movie. I really have no idea because I don't want to know because those movies, you just like can't touch them. I just like can't watch any of these remakes. It makes me so mad. Well, and the thing with Trunchbull and like Emma Thompson as Trunchbull is I worry it's going to like veer into caricature. And the thing with Trunchbull is like while she is larger than life in more ways than one, like <laughs> she isn't funny. And I worry that putting... You know how people are like hor- horribly use like fat suits as like comedy and like to play mm-hmm. that stuff up. I don't. It's not. She's not a funny character. She's not supposed to be fun or funny. Like she's fucking scary. Yeah. And I don't know. I just don't know if that's going. I also don't know if Emma Thompson's the right person for me. Like who would be a seriously like if again it just feels like comedy and I don't feel like it can be funny. And she's so. like so beautiful and like she mm-hmm. would to me she'd like she's like a Miss Honey type. Yeah. She's like a yeah. maternal and kind. It, 
I was just listening to another podcast about this. They were talking about that, like Miss Honey, not Miss Honey. They're talking about Trunchbull and Matilda and they were all female comedians. They're like, I'm not conventionally attractive. I would love to play Miss Trunchbull. Stop casting conventionally attractive people as these roles. Like us people out here who are not hot exist and would like to play these parts. Like let us play these parts. We look like that. Like it's fine. We we are we are okay with looking like that. So it's very interesting. Totally for how sure. People approach totally these agree. ugly character, like ugly characters. And, and it's, it's like, look, we made a pretty person <sighs> ugly, and it's like, shut up, shut up. Totally. <laughs> I find it way more interesting too. Like that's why I tend to love British television because the people look like people. Mm-hmm. That's oh, my 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 grandmother and I talk about this all the time because we love British television and British films. Like she loves Matilda, and the woman who plays Trenchbull is in another show we like. Call the Midwife. Have you ever watched Call the Midwife? She no, she's I in Call the she's in Call the Midwife, which is like a show about midwives in 1940s Britain. And we talk about how they people look like people. They don't look like celebrities. They look like human beings who have like imperfect teeth and like have skin that hasn't like gone through a bunch of treatments. Like they have wrinkles and they look like human beings. And like I have that conversation with her quite a bit. It's it's very interesting. I think that it's so much it's just so much better in every way for everybody. And it just makes for better stories. And yeah, I hate, like, I hate this, uh, this routine of just like casting models, but like, mm. they're not actors, but like people will watch it because they're hot. So like, right. that's what will get us the the sales that we need and all this stuff. It's like, yeah, but that's not interesting at all. And you're also attracting the wrong people. Like to me, anytime. And like, Obviously, I have uh, my backup about it because there's so many jobs that I've lost to models and like, you know, influencers and stuff, because that's just the day that we live in and what sells and stuff. But um, for me, I'm just like, oh, okay, well, if that's what your values are, then I guess we're not interested in this for the same reason. So they're just making whatever kind of movie they're making or whatever TV show they're making. And and they're a dime a dozen. But um, yeah, the shows that are really interesting to me, like have people that are like, they're just characters because they are not because they're trying to be like trench. Yeah. 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 Preternaturally scary and intimidating and like kind of gross. And I'm sure in real life, she's like beautiful and like, you know, radiant and, and like, obviously in the show, she's like acting like an animal half the time. Mm -hmm. She's terrifying her insults are fantastic though and that's one thing that like okay so when we watched the witches uh and we we talked about that movie which i i did see as a kid and absolutely love i just love the kind of lines that and the words that would come out of the the evil character's mouth and here we have such great lines festering ball of pus she says that her father says she's a real wart a carbuncle which no one uses the word carbuncle. I love that a carbuncle, a blister, a festering pustule of malignant ooze. Like these are, these are such like visual digs. And she even says pissworm at one point. And I was like, this is a PG thirteen movie, and we're saying or PG movie, and we're saying pissworm, <laughs> demented, drooling, slime breathed, little li- lilliputian, villainous sack of goat slime. Like these are just. These are just classic, iconic lines that I'd love to call someone. Like, you know, we we say too much like, fuck you, and use that when we should be like, you villainous, you know, sack of goat slime. Like, that hurts. (laughs) Totally. I can't even imagine. Pissworm. Pissworm. I can't imagine being her 
and acting that role and having to say those things with a serious face to like a small <laughs> kid. It's, well, it's and, so like, wild. She kills it. Pam Ferris, oh, who plays yeah. Frenchful, fucking kills it. Like she is terrifying in, in this role. And like, she really just makes me scared of her. And I, when I've seen her in other things, I've been like, Miss Trunchbull, <laughs> don't trust fuck her. With her. Don't trust her. She's going to put you in the chokey. She's going to put me in the fucking chokey. What's her character life and call the uh, character like in Call the Midwife? She's one of the um, the older nuns in Call oh, the Midwife. Yeah, so she's one of the nuns. And she's one of like, she of course is like a no-nonsense nun, but has like a soft inside, like a soft interior. So she's like, she's one of those characters. She's uh, also cool. in Harry Potter. Yeah, she's um Aunt Marge. She's uh what? She's Harry's in Harry Potter and the, the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, she there's like an image on on IMDb of her floating away. Yeah, it's when oh. her when, when he blows up, she blows her up. And right. She, yeah. Wait, did I know that? I didn't until just now. I don't know if I knew Have that. Have you seen all the Harry Potter movies, Terry? Mm-hmm. Okay. She looks so different. She's like so transformed. Mm-hmm. I know. It's very interesting to get pictures of her when like she's not in like her scary trunchbull outfit. <laughs> yeah. Like she looks so normal. Very regal in like her IMDb photo. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now I have to go look at her IMDb photo. <sighs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Like what? She looks like a lovely lady. Yeah. Jeez. I thought she was just evil trunchbull. <laughs> what is one of the things that I, I loved about this movie, and as I was I was digging into more information about it, is this idea of standing up to bullies. Because, you know, we, we kind of talked about it a bit with, with, with Miss Honey, where she goes to Matilda's family, and she stands up to them for her. And, you know, it's all about her trying to eventually overcome the oppressiveness of Miss Trunchbull for both her and Matilda. And apparently to celebrate the book's 30th anniversary, the Roald Dahl Museum in Buckinghamshire created a statue of Matilda standing up to Trump. No way. Yeah, there is a statue of uh, a Matilda facing down Trump as as kind of like a trunchbull type figure. And I love wow. that. That is awesome. I had no idea. And um, someone, <laughs> wow. Susie Dent, who was... Um, I'm going to mispronounce this, a lexicographer. I don't know what that is, but she was involved in the project. And she talks about how female rage has always been quite a big taboo. But what Matilda shows is if you channel it effectively, it could be hugely important agent of protest. And so that was why they put out a poll, I guess, and everyone and majority of people voted for Trump to be the stand in for this, the statue. And it's, it's kind of a a cool, um, a cool statue. There's, there's pictures of it all over the internet, but yeah, it's a uh, wild. The wild that you know that she's become such an iconic figure for standing up to that kind of bullies. And I was thinking in particular as I was watching this with the thing that Harry says, where I'm smart, you're dumb; I'm big, you're little; I'm right, you're wrong. And that sounds almost like a snippet of stuff you would hear Trump saying. So it seems it seems really kind of appropriate, honestly. Totally, it's the most petty, childish argument that no one can ever win. Yeah. Because you can't fight with someone who's that ignorant. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, it's even I I always laugh at that line when Danny DeVito is saying it because he's obviously a very short man. So just like here and him being on like the same eye level as her saying that just makes me giggle every time. And he directed it, right? Yeah, Danny DeVito directed Matilda, which I just discovered today for some fucking yeah. reason. Like what where have I been? But uh yeah, he directed Matilda. Good for him. I know, right? Like, I was just going to say, when we were talking about 
um, who they cast as Miss Honey and who they cast as Trunchbull. And we were talking about like the different representations of like femininity and like lesbianism. And and, like, Mm -hmm. I was like, I wonder who was casting these and like what their thought process was and like, you know, who had their hands in what. And then I just remembered it was Danny DeVito. And I was like, huh, I wonder if that was all his like, I don't know. I wonder what his plan was or if that was the whole um, yeah. the creative team that was kind of like going for the same the same thing. He had like a, a wild directorial spate in like the late 80s, early 90s, too, because he did Throw Mama from the Train. He directed War of the Roses. He directed Hoffa, Matilda, Death to Smoochie. What? He did that? He directed Death to Smoochie. What a guy. Yeah, just uh, what a range there. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. Good Lord. And then nothing after that? Um, It looks like the last movie he directed, um, he's done a lot of shorts, but the last movie he directed was called Duplex from 2003. Oh God, that movie is not good. I never saw <laughs> it. It's like a Ben Stiller, Drew Barrymore, like couple comedy. Okay. Oh, okay. I also saw it a long time ago, but it's not great. It was not great from what I remember. Huh. Yeah, that was his last movie, but... um. He did a lot of shorts in a TV movie after that, but, but yeah, what a, what a range in that short time in about like a decade. I guess he wanted to try one of everything. He sure did. (laughs) Yeah. That's hilarious. Jeez. What a challenge. Yeah. Um, well, do we want to wrap up and give this our rating out of five? Yes. Before we do though. Uh, so Shaban is, is this movie still terrifying as an adult? think that it's substantially less terrifying in the sort of visceral obvious ways um that I was as a child I no longer feel that my survival is threatened (laughs) so that's nice I can't again I can't imagine seeing this right before you're going to be going into school like yeah I don't know what my parents were thinking (laughs) (laughs) um but what is equally scary about it is all the the topics that we touched on, I think that are maybe more subtle themes that that a young child would feel while watching it, but maybe not be able to put into words, you know, with regards to how negligent and awful her family is. Um, and unfortunately, the reality of just being, as both of you were as well, so alienated from from the people that are supposed to be like your fierce protectors and your biggest advocates and create that warm nurturing environment for you to grow up and make mistakes in and yeah that's like really heartbreaking and that'll make your life so much harder (laughs) as you grow up yeah so that's terrifying (laughs) yeah 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 well terry so how many trenchables insults out of five do you give matilda you know what i was not sure what to expect going into this this movie i'll be perfectly honest because again in my mind when 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 you would when, when mary beth said that you were going to talk you wanted to talk about this movie i was like what is i don't i, don't, I honestly I didn't even know what it was about and i was reading the imdb synopsis and i was like a psychic she has psychic abilities like i i honestly thought that this was like and this is probably why i i thought it was like in that kind of Stuart little thing of like just a woman dealing with with shitty people is what I thought it was and so I was so surprised how much I actually really enjoyed this movie both from being like there's a lot of horror homages to it in it and there's a lot of uh 
aspects to it of stuff that like, I'm like, Ooh, I like this. I like this. And there's so much thematic, surprising thematic depth in this film that, you know, um, I'm going to give it four fantastic Trunchbolt insults out of five. Uh, what about you, Mary Beth? I got to give it five whole piss worms out of five. <laughs> um, obviously, this is a hugely influential movie for my my young heart. But then just realizing how queer you can read this movie makes it even more important to me and seeing how important it was. Like, going back to it as an adult and realizing, like, how much it shaped me as a kid is, mm. like, really important to me. So, obviously, I'm very biased, but I think this is, like, a perfect movie and it is just so beautiful and sad and incredible. And it's five. Um, Siobhan, you have the final word. How many Trunchbull's insults out of five do you give Matilda? I am also going to give it five festering balls of pus. Um, <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. I just think that it's so fantastic on all levels. You can dive as deep into it as you want. It's great for kids who aren't about to start school (laughs) great for all other kids great for adults there's just something in there that everyone can learn from and relate to and yeah gives you a little bit of hope in a suffocatingly dark world sometimes yeah i love that remember magic can exist magic can exist exist. yeah time to go back to like pushing cheerios with our mind Right? I'm going to move my liquid death can with my mind right now. <laughs> right? The thing that always messes me up, and I remember looking this up over the years as an adult too, like I do believe that ESP is real. Um, I do think that there's people that can, like, and I'm a pretty science, like I'm a pretty science-y person. <laughs> wow, really sounds like it. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I, I do believe that like, I don't know, there's got to be something that that can make some people more in tune with others' thoughts and things mm. like that. And I know that it is a kind of ESP, I think. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it is like a listed form of telepathy or, or whatever you call it. And so I'm like, well, if those exist, maybe this does. Just haven't done it yet. <laughs> Just got to keep practicing. That's right. <laughs> I'll try to do your Cheerios from all the way over here, Mary Beth. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us to talk about Matilda and making me finally watch and realize that it is a different movie from Stuart Little. So I totally appreciate that. <laughs> Where can our listeners find you? And do you have anything coming up you can share? Um, yes. Yeah, so they can find me uh, primarily on Instagram at Siobhan. That's S-I-O-B-H-A-N. And um, I do. I have another video game coming out in the fall called The Chant. Um, it's also a horror game, Ooh. but a different kind. It's not not so much a choose your own adventure, more of a linear uh, strategy game. Okay. Oh, hell yeah. That sounds awesome. Pretty supernatural too, though. So that'll be cool. Lots of creepy, gross monsters like Trunchbull. <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Um, so listeners you've heard from us we want to hear from you what was your experience with matilda send us an email at scarred for life podcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on twitter i am at mb mcandrews and i'm a gaily dreadful and of course don't forget to follow the podcast on twitter at scarred podcast and please don't forget to review rate and subscribe thank you to eric power for our artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thank you everyone for listening please stay safe out there but most importantly stay creepy and until next time
When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break. The playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make. You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that. You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap. You can build yourself a homemade scratching machine. Or use a piece from your chest set. Go ahead, grab the queen. Scratch like a DJ with your record player. A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer. Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways. Thanks to scratchers from the California lottery, a little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. The right shoes can take an outfit from good to great. Like Allbirds' all-new Courier. A shoe with a classic silhouette for everyday style, timeless comfort, and supreme versatility. And at the Allbirds Innovation Lab, they're doing all the sciencey stuff like research and testing to create shoes from natural, sustainable materials. So you can look good while doing good. Everyday comfort delivered. Allbirds' all-new Courier. Elevate your supernatural style at allbirds.com today and use code FRESHSOCKS for free socks with your purchase. For over 10 years, Grammarly has been powered by AI technology that you trust. With one click, you and your team can easily brainstorm, rewrite, and reply with personalized suggestions. You'll be amazed at what you can do. Go to grammarly.com slash podcast to download for free.